0: We are in a series called The Burning Life. And the whole purpose behind this collection of talks is to kindle a flame of love and passion for Jesus in your heart and in your life. And my hope is that we will come out of the season with a deeper and more profound love for Jesus and his particular way of life. He, he offers us the fullness of life. See, Your intimacy with Jesus is so important. I long for our hearts to burn. And I hope you you do too. And not just the flash in the pan kind of burning, you know, the uncontrolled, unbridled passion that doesn't have much direction and is loud for a second and then fizzles out. No, I'm saying a sustained burning on the altar of our hearts that is that grows over time, that can be consistent. It's potent, it's powerful, it's warm. It becomes a place where other people can come and gather around the fire and capture that heat. That other people can then come and light their flames from our fireplace. You know, that's different than a firework, right? It's different than just a a little match. We we need sustained, potent fire. And, And last week, we touched on this question, how do you burn? Now, this week is sort of a continuation of last week, but it's kind of got a twist to it. I'm willing to bet that many of us have experienced a burning in our lives before, right? But what do we do when the fire dwindles? This week, I want to ask the question how do we burn again? If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, first off, I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) like So honored that you would come and spend time with us. Uh, But though I think, too, that, um, yes, you can obviously glean so much from our conversation this morning. For you, this is going to be more of a front row seat to um, what we hope as followers of Jesus our lives to become, what we hope to be. So I want to start off by reading our text this morning. We're answering the question, how do we burn again? So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. We're going to be in Luke Chapter 24, starting in verse 13. I want to hear those Bibles flipping or maybe your, your fingers swiping, whatever it is, right? Our Bibles are a good thing. This might be a familiar passage to some of you, but I think it's important for us to allow um, the Word of God to impact us in fresh ways. So as much as you can, ask the Lord to open your eyes to see this as if you're seeing it for the first time. So Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going into a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked them, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And then the cheeky resurrected Jesus. What things? <laughs> like He's got to have a sense of humor. I mean, like this is ridiculous. Uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. You know, I've got a bit further to go. But they urged him strongly saying, no, no, stay with us. Like we want to hear more. We want to keep this conversation going for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So we went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So an important phrase here uh, that we need to recognize comes out of verse 21. It's when the two disciples say, but we had hoped. Turns out Jesus was a relatively disappointing Messiah. For generations, the Jewish people had anticipated the Messiah to come as a warrior king like David. Or this compelling, powerful prophet and leader like Moses. What they expected was for the Messiah to come, kick out the Romans, liberating them from their oppression, and then reestablish the Jewish nation as a prominent city in the world, a prominent nation in the world with God on the throne. And then the nations would flock to them, and everybody would see the glory of God. And Jesus' disciples believed this reality or this narrative of the Messiah. This is what they expected. This is what they thought he was going to do. There's this moment between James and John and Jesus where they come up to Jesus and they're like, Hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and at your left in your kingdom? And as Christians, we begin to think to ourselves, we, we hear that through the ears of, Oh, they're talking about when they get to heaven. Can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in your throne in heaven? But that's not at all what they were talking about. In context, they were expecting to become cabinet officers in this new kingdom they were like, no, 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 we we want to be second and third or second in command in charge. Can you do that for us? They, They thought that this kingdom was going to be very soon inaugurated and was going to establish Israel. But none of that happened. In fact, quite the opposite, right? In one moment, Jesus is ushered into Jerusalem and the city is rejoicing and and cheering his name, and then in the next moment, Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's then brutally murdered and executed by the Roman government, and the movement fizzles and what's left of the movement is a handful of his wannabe followers that are hiding away, fearing for their lives. But we had hoped, Now, if I'm honest with myself, there have been moments in my own life where I've been disappointed with Jesus. I interned at a church during college for about three years. And there were actually four of us that had interned together. And this was a number of years ago. And we started the internship together all in different departments. But we were close. We worked at, um, uh, we we, we were like, I lived with one of them as a roommate in college. But we just, we, we did life together. It was a young five-year-old, thriving, flourishing church. We were seeing people come to know Jesus. There was true transformation happening in the city. A move of God was beginning to occur within the community. And about two years in, one of the interns came out of a meeting with his supervisor saying, they gave me a job. And he was about to graduate and he had what every student dreams of, job security, right? He was doing the thing that he loved and then he was just offered the opportunity to continue to do that and get paid. And over the course of a few weeks, I watched the other two interns come out of their meetings with the exact same news. Eventually, I was called in, but they didn't have a job for me. The internship was just ending. Hey, we're so grateful for the last three years, Garrison, and you're about to graduate, and we understand that you will need to find some stream of income soon. And trust me, we wish we could bring you on to the team here, but we, we don't have a place for you. That last line is what stung. We don't have a place for you. Now, I get it. Churches and young churches, for that matter, don't have a massive budget or a surplus of income, and sometimes you have to make hard decisions, and I was never even promised a position. So, like, there, there shouldn't have been an entitlement there, but that phrase, phrase was debilitating. We do not have a place for you. And all he meant by that was that there was no literal job that they had to offer me at that point in time. But it struck a chord deep enough that it sent me into a year of doubting my faith, everything that I had been doing, and even like doubting the church. By God's grace, I came out on the other end, loving Jesus and his bride even more deeply, and I'm still in really good relationship with that community back in Nashville I I love them to death I have conversations with their senior pastor on a consistent basis so the grace of Christ is able to mend those kinds of moments but in the moment it hurt I had plans and hopes and dreams that were taken from me in an instant did I bring any value had I heard God's voice correctly for my life I was an intern, and then they called me an apprentice the second year, which is essentially just a glorified intern where you're doing more stuff than a regular intern, but still not getting paid for it. I was in college. I was working a full-time job as a, a barista, and I was giving them 20 to 30 hours a week. I felt like I was owed something. And I was disappointed in Jesus. I had placed my hope in Jesus as my job security Messiah. Maybe you've been there too. Jesus, we had hoped that following you meant that you would help us make our dreams come true. We had hoped that the people who claim to follow you, Jesus, would have represented you better. We had hoped that if we remained moderate and relevant to the culture, then that meant that maybe the culture would actually accept us. We had hoped that surrendering our lives to Jesus meant that we wouldn't have to experience this level of heartache, doubt, disillusionment, or confusion. So they were walking away. Jesus had been dead for three days. Some of the women had come bursting through, claiming that his body could not be found and that he was actually alive. But yeah, cool story. (laughs) Like, Never mind that, we're out. They were walking away, they were walking to Emmaus. Why Emmaus? Well, we don't really know exactly why they were walking to Emmaus. The scripture doesn't give us any context and even any of the scholarly arguments for the reason they were going to Emmaus is actually just conjecture. Some people say that Emmaus was historically a a site where significant military battles had been won And that makes a lot of sense. Like maybe they were going to a place to pursue an idealized version of what they hoped Jesus could have been to kind of console their longings for a military Messiah. That makes sense. I mean, I also read, and this is far-reaching, but I read somewhere at one point that Emmaus um, was known for its healing pools. So they were going to seek some sort of remedy and healing towards the pain that they had just experienced. And then some scholars just say that they were going home, that they were returning. And all of those work great, um, especially because we've all experienced those things, right? When we experience pain or when things don't go according to plan, sometimes we go after other things that are just slightly off of what we wanted in the first place, but are helping us capture and pursue and um, receive the idealized version of our own future. Sometimes we seek out remedy solace and healing in various things, whether those things be good and bad. And sometimes we just return home. We go back to the way things were. We just, we, we never skip a beat. We act like the, the season of pain, what caused that pain didn't even happen in our lives and we just go back to business as usual. But again, the point is not that they were going to Emmaus. It's that they were walking away from Jerusalem. That's what the text emphasizes. They were walking away from the kingdom. They were rejecting, they were cutting themselves off from their community, from the disciples. They were walking away from Jesus. And I think this may be an important question for us to ask ourselves from time to time, especially when we're experiencing moments of disillusionment, doubt, pain, confusion, whatever it may be. How far down the road have you gotten from Jesus? Well, I'm not walking away from Jesus. I'm just trying to figure out where I stand with the church. Well, let me encourage you. It's really hard to love Jesus and not love the things that he Loved, right? How far have you gotten down the road away from Jesus? Maybe it's just a few steps. Or maybe you're further down than you actually have realized. Now read this verse with me in verse 15. It just gives me so much hope. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They are walking away from Jesus and Jesus walks with them. Let me say that. Let me say it again. Like they are walking away from Jesus and Jesus is walking with them. This is the resurrected Lord. This is the king of the universe. And he doesn't show up and go and present himself to rulers and authorities and places of power. He doesn't go to the Romans or to the temple, to the places where like... People actually, the people who actually murdered him saying, I'm back, baby. Like, he doesn't do that. No, he goes to the people who are walking away from him, his disciples. And he walks with them. Like, just let that sink in. He steps in and walks alongside his disciples in the midst of their despair. And walks with them as they are walking away from him. This isn't to say that he's affirming their walking away. Jesus walks alongside a lot of people without affirming their actions and life decisions, am I right? This is simply the radical compassion and love of Christ on display. He wants to be with you. Verse 16, but, they were kept from recognizing him. So they didn't recognize him. It seems like Jesus is somehow miraculously keeping them from recognizing who he is, his identity. And it also just makes sense, right? Like, I don't think I would expect to see a guy I just saw die three days later, walk up to me and go, hello. So like, there's, there's this sense of like, they, they just don't recognize him. But it got me thinking. I, How often do we miss Jesus when he's walking with us? Have you ever noticed that our expectations of Jesus will sometimes keep us from seeing Jesus? Last week we said that your expectations or your perception of Jesus will affect your relationship with him. Sometimes it will just keep you from seeing him entirely. I wonder how often we expect Jesus to show up in certain areas of our lives when he's been walking with us all along. You know, like the conversation of the difference between needs and wants, or like we're begging Jesus to show up in this way in our lives, and we're contending, we're begging him, and we're like frustrated and discontent and crying out, Lord, why won't you show up? And he's standing over here saying, I'm right here next to you. Like, I'm here with you in the midst of it. Whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, as we wrestle with disillusionment, pain, doubt, and despair, Jesus is right there with you in the midst of it all. Let that sink in. And then he asks a question in verse 17. He says, what are you guys talking about? You know, because there's stuff in your heart. And you're probably like thinking about it and like talking and discussing it over. So so, what are you discussing? Then there's this back and forth for a bit. And as I was reading this this week, I just felt the Holy Spirit ask me, what have you been talking about, Garrison? Well, I've been talking a lot about how to raise a one-year-old and have a good marriage while simultaneously trying to plant a church, Jesus I've been talking about building a kids team and multiplying our house churches. Jesus, I get together with other pastors and church planters and we talk a lot about strategy and church models and the cultural climate and how many of our friends are stepping down from the ministry. Jesus, we've been talking about politics and the economy and inflation and the shortage of eggs at Trader Joe's. Like we've been talking about that disappointment or unexpected circumstance in our lives. Jesus, we've been talking about family dynamics and our careers, our relationships, and that new Netflix series that everyone should watch. That's what we've been talking about, Jesus. I'm beginning to realize that we talk about, think about a lot of different things, but rarely do we ever talk about Jesus. And look what Jesus does here in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He says, not nah, you've got it all wrong. I know you think the Messiah was supposed to be like this, but let me show you that the scriptures are pointing to me. So you want to talk about politics. Well, let me talk to you about Jesus in politics. So you want to talk about family dynamics. Well, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus and family dynamics. You want to talk about relationships. Jesus has an answer for that too. You want to talk about your career and your dream and the call on your life. Jesus wants to walk alongside that conversation too. I, don't, I, I need you to hear this. Let this be a principle, a guiding principle for your life. Whatever you talk about. Whatever they want to talk about, make for sure it's about Jesus. But also, like, listen to the grace and the, and the beauty of this. That whatever you're talking about, Jesus wants to be in that conversation. There is nothing too meta or trivial that Jesus does not want to be in the midst of? He wants to engage with you. He wants to be the center of the story. Are we allowing him to capture our imaginations? Let's keep reading in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Hone in on that last verse with me. Were not our hearts burning? Say, okay, why is it that their hearts were burning? Well, let's continue reading. While he talked with us. And while he opened the scriptures to us. So I want to make this really practical for you guys. talking with Jesus plus reading the scriptures equals a burning heart let that sink in all right you can go home that's it all right we're done no but seriously i want you to like understand this prayer and reading the bible wait really like are you sure it, that seems too easy In fact, they were so important to Jesus, now get this, that he intentionally made sure to do those two things before revealing his identity to them. He walked with them and talked with them and opened up the scriptures, and then he's like, guess who it is? The thing that was causing them so much despair, their loss of heart, all focused on the fact that he had died. And he could have just, I mean, before they even got to Emmaus, they had walked miles, right? They had been walking forever. And they could have taken a few steps, and Jesus could have been like, no, 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 hold on, wait, wait, I'm alive, it's okay, come back. But he didn't do that. Jesus could have chased them down. But instead, he walks with them and opens the scriptures with them. Apparently, communing with them and mining the scriptures was more important to Jesus than just immediately pulling them out of their pain. Ironically, prayer and Bible reading are the first two things to get the eject button, typically, when things don't go according to plan. Am I right? Like, when busyness increases... When we're experiencing tension at work or at school, or things aren't as they should be within the home, or there's an unexpected death or a loss of a job, prayer and scripture will often go to the back burner, if not off the stove completely. So I want to share with you a revolutionary practice that is guaranteed to help your hearts burn. Ready for this? Quiet time. Now, if you haven't been in church for a long time, this is old school language for literally just praying and reading the Bible in the mornings or whenever it works for you. We're, we're taking it back to quiet time. Like, can we, can we like literally do that? Can we go back to the quiet time before we get to any of the tools for a second? Like, I just wanna like sit on this. Like, can we please just reignite the passion for quiet time in our lives again? For prayer and reading the Bible, those two things. Like, seriously. Let's make quiet time great again, right? (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm going to stop. Okay, I'm getting too excited. Um, So over the last few years, there's been this rise in interest of the spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus, right? Like there's this interest in engaging in in all of the different various ways that we see Jesus practicing his communion with God and forming and like even engaging in the world. And we've got this beautiful well, this deep well that we can pull from as followers of Jesus because of our history on all the different practices and spiritual disciplines that can shape and form our lives. And I'm here for them. I love all of them. Like, I love silence and solitude. I've been practicing or at least trying, attempting to practice Sabbath for like six years now. And by the way, having a one-year-old daughter and Sabbath do not go well together. You cannot Sabbath with a little kid, but that's a completely different message. Um, but I have found profound, like, freedom in fasting. And you could go on and on with all of the different practices, but we can't miss these two. Prayer and Scripture. Hot take, I'm beginning to believe that one of the reasons, now, okay, there's many reasons, so many reasons, some good, some bad, but I'm beginning to believe that one of the reasons there's this infatuation with the practices in our culture right now is because we love complexity in our culture. Does that make sense? No? Maybe, maybe a little bit? All right, so we actually honor complexity over simplicity in our culture. Like, if you find someone who can articulate complicated knowledge, we think, oh, yeah, that's someone that we should be listening to. And this is actually occurring in the church context, too, where we're attaching ourselves to people who sound like they've got all the information that we need. And the more nuanced and articulate that message is, the more we feel the need to follow after that. And on even a personal level, like not just like meta, but on an individual level, we feel the need to read six more books to find this many, like this much more knowledge on a certain thing. We feel like we need to engage in this X amount of more practices or things before we ever enter into taking action in our lives, before ever actually leaning in. Why? Well, simplicity is a funny thing. When some, something is simple, it requires immediate action. Simplicity demands our obedience. When something is complicated, it, require, or it, it buys us time. <laughs> right? Simplicity demands obedience. When it's as simple as pray and read the Bible, you either do it or you don't. But when it becomes more broad and nuanced and complex, then we can like meander around before ever taking steps. Because I don't know how to do it all yet. I'm still trying to figure out how to engage in the practices. Simplicity demands obedience. Complexity buys us time. What would it look like for us to get back to the simplicity of prayer and reading the Bible? So, I wanna give you some tools. Now we can jump to the tools, dude, thanks so much. for Also, everybody, give a round for Caleb back there. He kills it with the slides. Yep. Um, so, I, I think that these tools, some of you guys will know them because I've talked about them before, um, but I believe that they'll help your heart burn. So, first, let's talk about prayer. Um, studies are beginning to reveal that um, the first things that we think about and the last things we think about in our day have the most effect on shaping our minds. So we need to make for sure that we're spending our mornings and our evenings focusing on Jesus, centering our lives around him. So in the morning, uh, this is what I do. And there's so many other, other ways, um, but this might be helpful to like, kickstart some things in your life. Um, I pray a passage of scripture. I've been doing these three passages for years. Galatians 2.20, I've literally been praying this passage for I think 13 years now, um, as much as I can almost every morning. And then Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. So what do I mean by praying a passage of scripture? Well, you go through it, so Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I take each section and I use them as prayer prompts to guide what I'm communicating about, your kingdom come. What areas of my life do I need your kingdom to come, Lord? What areas in my friends' lives? Okay, so then I'll pray on those things. Oh, okay, like, Lord, like, so-and-so needs your compassion. Like, or, I mean, this person needs Jesus. Jesus, can you establish your kingdom in Pasadena? And I'll use each of those things. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, I need like, and, I'll, and I'll talk through those things with him. And so I, I just use these as prompts. And the reason I love prompt style prayers in the morning is because my brain is in a complete fog when I wake up. So it's just really easy to have something to help you uh, like walk through a conversation with the Lord. Then there's evening. And I've talked about this before, but we're going to just walk through it one more time. Evening, I do something called examine, um, which is it finds its roots all the way back to like the fourth century, but even Ignatius, um, uh, like later on, actually began to formalize it more. Um, and so the exam, and this is the way that I do it, I ask a series of questions every evening um, as I lay down on my pillow to go to bed. It's as simple as that. Sometimes I don't get through all of them, um, but and that feels like, oh man, I should feel ashamed for falling asleep during my prayers. I think I've said this before, but like the... What better place to fall asleep than in the arms of your father? He's pleased with that. Like, so it's okay to fall asleep during your prayers. It's fine. but So in the examen, um, I'll ask myself, where did I experience the most joy today? Why? Where did I feel closest to God today? Why? Where did I experience sadness or pain today? Why? Where did I feel the furthest from God today? Why? And then what does all of this tell me about the world, myself, and God? Now, what does this do? As we begin to make ourselves aware of how God is meeting with us on a daily basis, then we're training our bodies to recognize it and our minds to open or to recognize it in the moment. So instead of just having to reflect on it, you can engage with the Lord in those moments. And when you're experiencing pain, you can understand how to navigate it. And so morning and evening, this is how I spend in prayer with the Lord, as best as I can. I'm not perfect, obviously. All right, tools for scripture. Bread, B-R-E-A-D, so be still. So spend some time in silence. I usually spend a couple minutes to 10 minutes just centering myself, silently listening to the Lord, asking him to speak to me, and just like being in his presence. Read. Uh, Read the passage, reread it out loud in your mind, read it as many times as you possibly can. And in this one, it's really easy to go straight into trying to interpret or trying to apply or glean from it. I want you to stay in the text as much as you can for a second. Allow the text itself to speak to you as opposed to allowing other thoughts and opinions to enter your mind for um, at least for read. And then we get to encounter So this is where we allow God to actually begin to move our hearts in a specific direction and we begin to encounter the Holy Spirit in some profound ways. So you need to ask yourself questions like, what is standing out? What is God highlighting to me? What are some of the insights that I'm noticing within the passage? We can even dig into study. We have so many resources at our fingertips with our phones. Like if if there's a phrase or a word that you want to understand more, go look it up, figure it out. Begin to study the scriptures, use commentaries, read through things. And so in the encounter moment, you're, you're just trying to figure out, okay, what does this actually mean? And what insights can I take from the things that God is highlighting to me? And then apply. So this is something I've used since middle school, and it just helps. It's an acronym called Space Pets, and um, and it's specifically for application. I know it's ridiculous, but it works, and I still remember it. Okay. So hold on. Go to the next slide for a second. Space Pets. Sin to confess. Promise to claim. Attitude to change. Command to obey. Example to follow. Prayer to pray. Error to avoid. Truth to believe, something to praise. And then at the end, just some questions. Why did the Spirit highlight those phrases? And what is he trying to teach you? And how is he calling you to live or act? Um, so if essentially, this is just like, okay, asking yourselves, is there any of this that I should be doing in light of what I've learned? In light of what God is speaking to me? And how do I like then live because of that? Like sometimes it's just a truth that I need to re-hardwire because I've been le- believing lies, right? And sometimes there's an example that Jesus is pointing out to us and it's like, oh shoot, maybe I should do this more. You know, I mean, so it, and and it's helpful there's more it doesn't have to look like this, but I found this helpful when I'm stuck to kind of catalyze engagement with scripture. All right, go back and then the last B R E A D is devote And this is the moment when we journal, when we spend time worshiping or praying. Some of you creatives, write a poem, write a song, a story, paint a painting, draw a picture. Um, I had a friend who was not a creative, but he loved drawing stick figures of what he had just read. And it was horrible. It just looked like it was like awful, but it helped him engage with the Lord. And it's great. So whatever works for you. Um, And then go do it devote yourself to going and doing whatever God is calling you into. And so there's so many ways to read scripture, so many helpful tools. This is kind of uh, like a level two, I'd say. It's not just level one of like reading the scriptures, but like this is like, okay, let's dig a little bit deeper, right? And I think that like, I think we're ready for that. And maybe you're ready for more. Come find me if you want other ways to do this. I'd love to walk walk through that with you. Okay, so in light of all this, prayer and scripture, I know that some of you might be asking, okay, it it still can't be this easy, burning hearts. Like I do these two things and then my heart will burn, but that makes no sense. I've spent time praying and I've spent time reading the Bible and I've got my routines down and I still don't feel like my heart burns. What gives? One of my convictions is that we don't actually spend enough time in those spaces. Let me encourage you to pray and read until your heart burns. Don't give up. Keep coming back, keep digging in. Don't stop. Sometimes we read for five minutes and we're like, this is so confusing, I don't know what to do next. And we move on, instead of sitting with it. Read until your heart burns. Pray with him until your heart burns. And that doesn't mean keep reading. I mean, it could just look like reading something over and over again, or holding on to it throughout the rest of your day and continually meditating on it, and getting back to it. But like, we can give him an hour. We can give him time if we prioritize that. All right, so there's the tools. I know we've gone through a lot, so I'm just gonna invite you guys to stand with me. I want us to spend a moment in in prayer with the Lord, just you and Jesus. So if you wouldn't mind, um, Putting Open your hands right in front of you and closing your eyes. We're just gonna spend the next couple moments in silence before the Lord. Invite him to minister to you. There's something um, that I want us to notice. So as you're spending time with Jesus, just allow the, the ending of our story in Luke 24 to awaken your imagination. So Jesus means or acts like he has a bit more further to go. He, he's going to keep walking. And they're like, no, 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 come, come. We want to hear more. We want to we keep talking with you. So, you know what happens? He comes in, he sits at the table with them, he breaks bread, and there's this revelation that happens. But that revelation didn't necessarily solve all of their problems. Jesus pieces mid meal. They're like, We want to hear more. Nah, I'm out. And he just disappears. And I feel like the Lord might be wanting to say the same thing to you this morning. That I'm not going to give you all of the resolution and answers right now. Because you can't even comprehend or handle what's to come. But I am going to give you enough to recognize that I am at the center I'm going to give you enough to commune, to have fellowship with me. So what do the disciples do? They go back to Jerusalem. And they're like, it's true, the women were right. Again, it's true. (laughs) He's alive and then they sit there with the disciples, but then things don't like completely pan out immediately. Not everything's resolved in that moment, but they had discovered that they would rather be in the room with the certainty of Jesus than on the road to Emmaus with the uncertainty of an idealized version of the future that they wanted. They would rather rather be in the room with the certainty of relationship with Jesus than continue to walk away in the midst of their pain without all their answers. And I believe that the Lord is inviting us into a revelatory moment even this morning right now that he is saying like i am going i want to give you enough to commune with me right now never mind all of the other questions never mind all of the other pain i want to give you enough for your heart to burn all you need is me <laughs> is jesus enough He's saying, he's communicating to you right now, I am enough. Do you believe him? So Lord, we come before you humbly asking that you would continue to open our hearts to what you were doing. Holy Spirit, increase your love in our hearts this morning. We pray that you would break down any strongholds, any resistance because of uncertainty. that we would teach ourselves to burn again by being with you, by spending time with you, by the simple practices of being around you, talking with you, walking with you, and opening up your word of God, your word, your, your truth, your testimonies, your stories, your insights, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit would begin to awaken our hearts to more of who you are by our infatuation with the scriptures. Uh, Jesus, I ask that you would cultivate little hearses in the hearts of the people in this room. That you would kindle flames and that the embers would become bright because you are enough. That this morning, people would leave here not talking about how great the worship set was, that people wouldn't leave here going, man, the community was really friendly, but they would, be, they would say, We're not our hearts burning because Jesus was there with me? Let them look to you, Jesus. I pray that everything else would fade away. <laughs> and if we forget you, if you become peripheral and not at the center, Lord, I pray that you would shut us down. We love you, Lord. In your holy, heavenly name we pray. Amen.